This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. We have an incredible treat for you guys this morning. I know you probably miss Pastor TJ and everybody's like, oh, Pastor TJ's not speaking again. But we have somebody even better than Pastor TJ this morning. So <laughs> we've invited um, Randy and Becky Young to be with us this morning. If you guys know JP Young, this is JP's parents. All the single ladies, if you don't know JP, his parents raised him well. <laughs> Just kidding, we gotta pick on JP this morning. But Randy and Becky are with us this morning and Randy is gonna come share with us this morning about parenting and how they've raised their kids and just some principles throughout the Bible um, of just what being a parent looks like. And TJ and I talk about this all the time. Randy and Becky are like our second parents and we just love them and appreciate them. And TJ and I always said, if we had kids, the one couple that we would go to if we needed anything, if we needed advice, if we had questions, it would be Randy and Becky Young. Because if you look at their family, they have incredible kids who, who love God, who are in ministry, who are striving after the right things. And so we are so blessed and honored to have Randy here this morning to speak with us. They're in ministry. They have an incredible school of ministry. Is that what you guys call it? The Agora School of Ministry, which I'm sure he'll share a little bit about. But they are an incredible couple. So if you guys will give it up for Randy Young. Yeah. Morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning. Uh, I, I'm excited to be here this morning, to be back at a place that actually our two youngest sons and my wife were here from day one to help pioneer this thing. They were involved in children's ministries and youth ministries and tech ministries and all that. And to see the grace of God on the congregation today and what God's doing through TJ and Shayla, uh, we thank God for it. Very, very excited. So, so uh, when TJ asked me to speak on family and raising kids and all that kind of thing, my first thought was, it's been a while. Uh, we, we've been empty nesters for quite a while now, and he, he's caused me to think about what God did in those years, which was pretty cool. Since leaving Fort Lauderdale three years ago, we have pioneered a missions ministry called the Agora Group. Agora is the Greek word for marketplace in the Bible. In Acts 17, 17, the Bible says the Apostle Paul was daily in the marketplace or daily in the Agora. We think that's where the church ought to be. How about you? Daily in the community, in the marketplace, making a difference in the world of business, in the world of education, in the world of the arts, across the board, being leaders in every field for the sake of Christ. Amen? So, so uh, the Agora Group, we have two very clear God-given mandates. One, Shayla just mentioned, we now have a one-year missional plunge school for young adults, fully accredited. Our students earn 30 college credits transferable to any university in the United States while they're doing 15 hours of ministry in the city. The second semester, we've spent the last five weeks overseas. Last year, we spent five weeks in the Amazon. We had an absolute blast. We spent Easter week in a village of 60 people where the gospel had never been before. It radically changed our students' perspective in their lives. 
We also do summer abroad programs where any student from any university, community college, uh, Christian college, state school, whatever, even high school juniors and seniors can come with us for the month of July, earn three college credits. Any of you in high school, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You earn college credits, they're waiting for you when you graduate from high school. And we're going to be going back to the Amazon for the month of July. If you're interested in that, we'd love to talk with you about that after service. The other thing God has us doing is that we are working with unreached people groups in the nation of Columbia. Not the safest place on the planet, but we now travel with tent and sleeping bag from the Andes to the Amazon. we got about 35 spiritual kids, young Colombians that are planning the church. We're working in 38 out of the 80 indigenous tribes in Colombia. We have over 250 village church plants, and our goal is 500 village church plants by the end of, end of the year 2015. There are yet 15 totally unreached tribes in the nation of Colombia, and we're targeting them. We have a special strategy session in January of 2013. We want to see every tribe in Colombia with a church and worship going on in their language. So that's what God has us doing these days. So, so our focus hasn't been on raising kids for quite a while. So when TJ said, hey, can you speak on this? It caused me to really reflect. Becky and I have been remembering, thinking back, and basically we're asking ourselves, how did we do it? And what did we do? Not that we got it right all the time, but, but we are thankful that we, now, we have four kids between the ages of 24 and 31, and they are serving the purposes of God all over the world, and uh, their spouses, three out of the four are married right now. Love you, son. <laughs> See, he's on the soundboard today, so he can mute me anytime he wants. <laughs> oh, so this morning we want to talk about raising God's kids, all right? And we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think it'll be up on the screen here. And uh, Moses' instruction to the children of Israel are great words for us today. And I'll just read it right here. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. goes on to say, so that you, your children, and their children, did you catch that three generations? You... Your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, uh, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget. Do not forget, do not forget, do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, 
and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, he is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Okay. This is a powerful passage of Scripture for families and parents. And I know that there are a lot of people in this room that are pre-parents. This is great information for you today. Father, thank you for your word. Your word says that it's good seed. May it find good soil in our hearts. Today, that there might be a great harvest 100-fold for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last summer, I found myself on a 13-hour boat ride, leaving uh, Leticia, Colombia, and going to Iquitos, Peru on the Amazon. We had been training young leaders in Colombia. We were on our way to Iquitos to set up our summer abroad program with our students, and we had a great time there. Everything went well, and then it was time to go back, and we were delayed for a day. Anybody get frustrated with delays besides me? It's like, God, I've got an agenda. I've got things that I've got to get done, but we were delayed for a day. We got out the next day, and we're on the boat ride back, and, and you know, on the river, it's a small boat. It seats about 30 people. Little stops along the river. People get on. People get off, and, and one time when we stopped, I heard a man coming down into the boat, and, and I heard him say something in English up above at the at the higher level, when he came down, he sat right down in the seat in front of me. And all I asked was a simple question. I said, where are you from? That started a five-hour conversation. His name was Eric, and um, you know, anybody, you know those Dos Equis beer commercials, the most interesting man in the world? This guy officially is the most interesting man in the world, okay? His name's Eric, and um, he's a few years older than me. He earned his doctorate from the University of Washington in, in psychology, as a student there in the late 60s and early 70s, he was totally immersed in the drug culture. He told me he spent his entire graduate and undergraduate years running from Jesus freaks, avoiding the gospel at all costs. Maybe some of you can identify with that. And, and so, um, so um, the last 30 years of his life, he's been working on major political campaigns all over Latin America. Pretty interesting, probably pretty shady. So, um, so when we got to that point in the conversation when he said, so what do you do? I thought, conversation over, isn't that right? And, 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 and so um, he was not impressed at all, and I thought, Lord, what do I do, what do I do? And I felt the Lord just impress on me, ask, ask him about his family. Six months previous, his wife had left him. His son was in a Costa Rican jail. His daughter, Ava, 28 years old, a former Miss Venezuela, first runner-up in Miss World, now a network anchor woman in Caracas, Venezuela, and the mom of a two-year-old daughter, stage four breast cancer. Eric's life was absolutely falling apart. And so uh, uh, we, we got to talk, and, and, it, and a deep ache in his life began to show through this incredibly messy life story. He was one hurting dad and one hurting husband. And I, I was drawn to him, something of God's father heart for Eric was welling up inside of me, and the conversation was rich, and I said to Eric, what brought you to Iquitos? He says, well, um, I've been spending, I've spent the last nine days with a Peruvian shaman, witch doctor, and we've been lying on mats every night from nine at night till four in the morning out in the rainforest. We've been dropping this exotic Peruvian drug called ayahuasca. This drug is a powerful hallucinogen which explores the, the areas of emotional pain in your body, and then the drug tells the witch doctor what other drugs to give you to deal with your issues. 
Eric was on a spiritual search. And as we, as we continued to talk, I found out that his grandparents were pioneer missionaries for the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in China and Tibet in the 30s and 40s. Uh, and his dad followed in his uh, mo- mom and dad's footsteps only to have his first wife, as they were on the mission field, tragically dry- die. His dad got mad and bitter at God, walked away from the ministry, joined the U.S. Army during World War II and became a linguistic specialist in China. During that time, he met a young Jewish atheist and married her. Eric was the, pro- pro- the, the uh, product of a bitter missionary kid and a Jewish atheist mom, and it explained a whole lot. So as we were, as we were talking further, uh, all I can say is a bond grew, respect grew, openness, and, and during that five-hour conversation, God broke through. And soon my partner, Helmon, and I, Right in the middle of that boat, we're laying hands on Eric and praying with him to receive Christ. It was an absolute divine appointment. And Eric said, you know what? I think this is a providential moment. I said, you better believe it. And and Eric and I are still emailing to this day. As God would have it, we were on the same flight out of of Letitia the next day. We exchanged emails. We continue to email. And um, this has been a year ago now. And, And last October, I got an email from him. And he said this, thank you, Randy. He said, I racked my brains, my heart for a reason for this nightmare. And then it occurs to me. Is this my daughter's gift to bring me to God? Ava, last October, was brought to Houston, Texas for experimental treatments for her cancer. Uh, As we moved into the Christmas season, things were uh, taking a turn uh, for the better. We thought she was going to be able to go home for Christmas Christmas last year. And then three days before Christmas, a sudden infection set in and Ava was gone. And I thought, God, should I have flown down there? Should I have tried to connect on a deeper level? And, and Eric told me um, by phone, he said, um, I want you to know, Randy, that, that my wife, Ava's mom, who is far, far, far from God, told me that three nights before Ava passed away, that Jesus came to her in a dream. And... All Ava said was when she woke the next morning, she said, Mom, I'm at total peace. And Mom, I regret living all these years as an agnostic. And Mom, can you arrange for me to be baptized? Ava had a profound conversion experience. I got to thinking about that. And my first thought was, God, would you arrange all this? Would you delay me a day on the river to meet a messed up guy that I could communicate with? Because down the road, you knew he would have a daughter that was nearing the end of her life that needed to hear the story of Jesus, needed to experience the gospel. And the answer is yes, isn't that right? That's the kind of God we serve, and he is really into arranging divine appointments for each and every one of us. But then I had this second thought. I thought, Eric and I both had godly grandparents. I can say... As Paul said to Timothy, the faith that was in your grandmother, that was also in your mother, and now is in you. And it's gone on now to our kids. Becky and I, our testimony is that all of our brothers and sisters, our parents, okay, all of our kids and their spouses, all of them are serving God today. It's just a a remarkable testimony uh, to God's grace and this generational sense of passing on the ways of God. But I thought, 
Uh, what happened with Eric's family? Why is my family a miracle of God's grace, and I get to see my kids serving the purposes of God all over the world, but Eric's family has been such a mess, floundering in this world? And I think, folks, I think it all boils down to embracing and prioritizing and practicing Deuteronomy 6 that we just saw on the wall a few minutes ago. Somewhere along the line, Eric's family forgot. They did not continue on. They walked away from the principles and the priorities of our God. And in this passage that we read, Moses challenges the people of God to adopt what I will call a generational disciple-making conviction. The teachings from God, he says, they're for you. They're for your children. They're for your children's children. In verse 6, he says, put them on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them. Write them all over the house. Do not forget. Why? Well, look at the promises associated with, with following the principles of the Lord. He says, long life is coming, great increase, godly inheritance, fulfilled destiny for your kids, undeserved blessing and satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose in life. These are the promises of God for those who will pass on the ways of God to their kids. So how do we train and disciple our kids in God's word and ways? How do we understand, help them understand God's will for their lives? Well, first of all, it begs the question, what is a disciple anyways? If we are called to disciple our children, what's a disciple? Four things that I see in the Word of God that mark a disciple. First of all, a disciple is a learner. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A disciple is hungry to learn from Jesus. They live life based on the words of Jesus and not on the trends of culture and society. Jesus also said, take up your cross and follow me. So a disciple is a learner follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is also an ambassador. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him on planet earth. We represent him in our schools. We represent him on the job. We represent him in the neighborhoods. We represent him in our extended families. We are called to represent the ways of the kingdom of God in every sphere of society that God puts us. We don't speak, what does, it, what does an ambassador do? He represents his sovereign. He speaks his sovereign's words. He does not act out of his own initiative. He does not say what he wants to say. He represents his king. We are called as disciples to represent King Jesus on planet Earth. And finally, a disciple is a reproducer. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, The things, Timothy, that you have seen and heard in me, the things that I taught you, teach faithful men who can teach others also. A disciple is always saying, Who can I pour into what I'm learning to help them grow in God? So this is, a, this is what a disciple is, a learner, a follower, an ambassador, and a reproducer. And this is what we're called to do in the lives of our kids. Teach them to learn the ways of God. Cause them to follow Jesus. Help them understand their role as an ambassador, no matter what age and stage of life they're at. And how do they reproduce that life of Christ in others? So how did we disciple our kids? Um... we got to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. Intentionality, think about it. We tend to subconsciously think in life, 
I can lose my job if I don't produce. I, I can lose my health if I don't take care of my body. I, I can lose my money if I don't invest it wisely if we've got any of it left. But we tend to think that family is just kind of always going to be there. We do family on autopilot. When we get around to it, we'll do these things. What, what if we put as much intentionality into our family life as we do our professional life? What would happen in our family? I mean, think about this. In our society, we, we are required to train more to drive a car than we are to raise a kid. And then we keep passing on those generational mistakes in child rearing. Isn't that right? So we need to be intentional about growing God's kids. Uh, how, how, how do we disciple our kids? We, we do it like Jesus did. What did he do with his disciples? He modeled. He served them. He trained them. They then did it together. When the apostle Paul says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Anybody ever been exasperated before? How do we exasperate our kids? Here's one of the ways we exasperate our kids. When we correct them about something that we never taught them about in the first place. When we've not trained them, but then we correct them, kids say, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know how to please you. What? We need to train our children. So, so we model, we serve, we train, we do it together, and then one day, hallelujah, we let them go. And we trust God. Becky and I, uh, when Ryan went out the door, our youngest, to college, we... We gave him a big hug, we shed a tear, we, gave, we, we closed the door, and then we high-fived and shouted, hallelujah. <laughs> uh, well, I want to, in the time we have left, to go over top, our top ten family convictions, I'll call them. What Becky and I feel, uh, as we talked about this, were key to shaping the faith and future of our kids. All right, Conviction number one, folks, they are God's kids first. Isn't that right? Before there are kids, they are God's kids uh, we, we, we knew as parents that we were just stewards and not owners of the kids, and that one day we would stand before God and give an account for how we raised them in the ways of God. Before we ever held our kids, God had a dream for them. God had a design, God had a destiny, God had a plan for their lives. Like Moses, uh, born there on the banks of the River Nile, uh, his parents Amram and Jochebed looked at this little baby and said, this is a special child, this is a proper child, this is God's kid. They said, he is not going to suffer the same fate of all the other kids. And God helped them to arrange a plan to grow Moses in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So, so um, I think back with our kids to when we dedicated. I love baby dedications. Anybody else love baby dedications? A few years ago, I was in the nation of Cuba. The service ended at about 1130 at night. And they said, Pastor, can you do one more thing? I said, what's that? And they said, will you dedicate a baby? I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is as good as it gets. And when we dedicate our kids, you know, when they're, when they're this big... And we say, Lord, they belong to you. Thank you for the chance to steward them. And we're going to raise them to the best of our ability. We want them to walk in your ways. That's just a great day, isn't it? But when they're this big, and God is speaking to their hearts about big dreams in faraway places, in those moments you just want to hang on and say, no, no way, God. I've invested 18, 20, 25 years in this one. But Becky and I, 
developed this conviction a long, long time ago, was that, and no family is closer than ours, and yet now our kids are eight time zones apart. Um, we, we won't be together this Christmas. Stinks. We have family reunions about once every 18 months. And you love it and you hate it because they are serving the purposes of God all over the world, and that's what we prayed for. And it came out of this conviction that um, God never called us to posture them for the good life. He called us to posture them for the God life. And those can be two entirely different things. And they are serving God now, and we are thankful, and it came out of this conviction that they are God's kids first, all right? Uh, The second conviction that we developed was the most important thing we could do for our kids was to love each other. When Becky and I were dating, we had some married friends, and they had a two-year-old named Lindsay, and there was this little plaque on, uh, on uh, the hutch in their house, and all it said was, the most important thing a daddy can do for a child is love its mommy. And, and uh, Becky and I uh, uh, recognize that in life, God gives us two energy-producing relationships. Let me say it this way. Working kids will take it out of you. No matter how much you love either one, they, they, they drain you, isn't that right? God and spouse are designed by God to be the two energy-producing relationships in our life. They fuel our jets. So time alone with God and time alone with our spouses and cultivating those relationships are the best things we can do for our kids. So we need to nourish and cherish our spouses. We need to keep dating. Be- Becky, if she would say anything, she'd say, keep dating. Keep dating. Block out a night a week, no kids. Get away for a weekend together, no kids. These are, (laughs) wives, you can nudge your husbands if you want to and say, will you please listen to this guy, all right? Uh, Too often, husbands marry their work, wives marry the kids, and then the kids are out of the house and they look at each other and say, who are you? And that's why we see so many divorces take place after the kids are out of the home because they haven't cultivated the primary relationship in the house which is the husband and wife relationship. I, uh, we do our kids no favors by making them the primary focus of our homes. I've seen too many parents plan their lives around their kids only to lose them. Conviction number three. Another most important thing, most important thing we can do for our kids is obey God. Make no mistake, uh, we loved our kids deeply. Um, but we didn't worship them. Too many families worship their kids today more than their God. And their kids are at the center of their lives and not their God. So many young couples would come to us over the years when we were pastoring and say, boy, there's, there's this new opportunity, there's this new job, it might take us to another city. We, we want to do what's best for our kids. We think this is going to increase our standard of living. We would provide more stuff. And Becky and I would look at them and say, the most important thing you can do for your kids is obey God. What does God want you to do? So we were really put to the test in 2004 when God opened up a door for us to leave the church that we had pioneered in Cleveland, Ohio, that was 35 nationalities and the absolute joy of our lives. And God sovereignly moved us to South Florida to go to work with One Hope. And we directed their internship and their young missionaries and all that. And, and we were praying this through, saying, God, is this you? And, and I, when we made the decision, we felt it was the Lord. I, 
I can't tell you how many people said to us, Ryan's a junior in high school. He's lived in Cleveland since he was one year old. All of his high school friends, his soccer buddies, his tennis buddies, his youth group. How can you do this to him? It's not fair to him. You should wait until he, at least until he graduates from high school. And we were put to the test on our own words. The best thing we can do for our kids is obey God. My last Sunday at the church was August 15th. That afternoon, I put Becky and Ryan on a flight for Fort Lauderdale. The next day, he walked onto a high school campus, Pompano High, where he knew nobody. Two thousand four in the fall, four hurricanes came through Fort Lauderdale. Anybody remember? We lived in what thirteen different places because our place was tore up that we were moving into, and it took until February to get it straightened out. We're lucky that our son's not scarred for life living with mom. <laughs> But that year, sitting at dinner one night, totally unsolicited, he said, Mom, Dad, I want to thank you. He said, it's not been easy. I miss my friends. But my world has been expanded. I've had opportunities I never have had before. He said, thanks, Mom, for obeying God. Thanks, Dad, for obeying God. And that was worth its weight in gold. Moms and dads, the best thing we can do for our kids is to Obey God. Number four, we seize teachable moments. My wife Becky is a master at this. Deuteronomy mentions it. Talk about these things when you're walking down the road. Just everything becomes a teachable moment. Ask God to help you see and seize teachable moments with your kids. Number five, we cultivated their personal passions and giftings. Proverbs 22.6 says this, you know this, train up a child in the way he should go. Isn't that right? And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that literally means train up a child according to his bent, according to his design, according to how God has wired he or him or her. Um, and, and when he is old, he will continue in that gifting and that anointing. So we need to be students of our kids. How has God wired them? Uh, when JP was little, He was affectionately known as Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Love you, son. He was brilliant at taking things apart. Never quite knew how to get them back together again. But he was brilliant at taking things apart. He had this entrepreneurial anointing on him since he was a little boy. So at about age 11, he decided to take his money that he had earned and buy a professional leaf blower to start a business. And not long after that, he was buying his first video camera to make movies. And we could have said, son, wait, or why are you going to waste your money on that, or blah, 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 so on and so forth. But, but then we wouldn't have had all of these incredible 11-year-old feature films. Mom's makeup, um, pirates, bandits, ninjas, incredible special effects. You need, he's got them all. You could ask him. He, I'm sure he'd be willing to show them to you anytime. Um, priceless. But then we see how God is using him today all over the world in film. And our passion was to cultivate giftings and personal passion in our kids and to recognize how God had wired them and not try to shape them into our mold, isn't that right? And what we wanted for them, but to participate and partner with God and what he had for them. Here's number six. 
We made our family a, a no-bubble zone. Randy, what do you mean by that? We didn't isolate our kids from the world. We did our best to equip them to live for Christ in the world. Our family was not an isolated Christian bubble. Community involvement, athletic teams, public schools that they intended. We did our best to train them to be the influencers and not the influenced. So when Ryan comes home from school one day, first grade, and, and he announces to us at the dinner table, Dad, I led three kids to the Lord this afternoon. I said, what did you do? He said, we were eating lunch, and we were talking about God, and we were talking about heaven, and we were talking about hell. And I asked him, do you want Jesus to be your Savior? And all three of them said yes. I said, what did you do? He said, I told him, bow your head and repeat after me. I thought, where's he heard that from? <laughs> Number seven, yet home was a sanctuary for our kids. Uh, the world can beat us up, isn't that right? Our conviction was that our home was a place where we shut the world out. We closed the doors, and it was to be a place of peace, of joy, of encouragement. I, I, I've got a slow fuse. I don't get angry very often. But the one thing that would get me with my kids was when they started trash-talking each other, disrespecting each other. It was just, you do not do that in our household. You will not talk to your brother that way. You will not talk to your sister that way. They're not just your brother and sister. They're God's kids. They're made in his image. They've got huge destinies. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to bless one another. Not that we always got it right. I remember Steffi and Aaron, our two oldest, when they were in middle school, probably 12, 13 years ago, 13 years old, they really were getting at each other. And Becky and I were really getting tired of it. So finally, we put them in a room, in a bedroom, closed the door and said, don't come out until you get this settled. And you could hear behind the door, they're yelling, they're frustrated, they're crying. This is going on for two hours. And finally, it got quiet, and they came out, and I looked at them, and I saw their countenances, and I said, you're not done yet. Get back in there. We sent them back in, and another hour is just going on and on. And finally, it got quiet. Things seemed to be great. And Becky and I just kind of breathed a sigh of relief and thought, man, we're finally through this. And, and uh, the door opens, and out walks Aaron. I said, where's your sister? He said, she went out the window. <laughs> She's down the street taking a walk. So we didn't always get it right. But we wanted our house to be a sanctuary, all right? Home to be a safe place. Number eight, we gave them a big world and rooted them in God's mission. Uh, from a young age, we gave them a passion for the nations. We had people, you know, the nations are our neighbors now. Look around you. Thanksgiving, we always had families from other nationalities in our home. They'd never seen Turkey before. It was a blast. We talk about the goodness of God. We, we served the people around us. We, we had ways of investing uh, God's heart for the nations and our kids. We took every one of our kids on missions trips with us. I took JP. He was 14 years old when we went to Croatia, the former Yugoslavia, and God began to work in his heart. We gave him a big world, God's world, and God's dream because we wanted them to forever link their career track, whatever God called them to, to his great commission. Number nine, um, we loved God's house together. Here was our conviction. We don't just go to church, we are the church. My household, my family. We don't just go to church, we are the church. Uh, serving God and his church became second nature. When we planted our church, Ryan was five years old, and every, everyone in our family had a job description. We said, you know what? This isn't something mom and dad is doing. This is something God's called us to do as a family. So at age five, when those doors opened on that first Sunday, Ryan was on the first greeter team. 
Anybody shorter than him, he knew where their classroom was. And he was so excited to take them. But, but you know, so when Coastal was planted, here he is leading the youth ministry. Because that's just what we did as a family. We didn't just go to church. We were the church. We invested in church. Catch this. Psalm 84 uh, verse 4 says this. Blessed are those who dwell in God's house. Psalm 92 13. Those who are planted and got planted in God's house will flourish. We can't just take our families to church. We need to plant them in church. Because God promises a blessing and he promises we'll flourish. Here's the last Conviction number 10. We made the holidays about Jesus. Here we are at Christmas time, isn't that right? We loved it all as a family. We did it all. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, you could move on there and, and, and through the festivals in Israel, God just kept saying, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. God loves his people to celebrate, and we celebrated it all. And, and I want to say this we were not Santa phobic. Some families have that conviction, and that's fine. Our kids sat on Santa's lap. They told Santa what they wanted for Christian. We laughed. We had some fun with it. But at the end of the day, there was no doubt in our kids' minds who we worshipped as a family. So we found ways to cultivate a heart for God through the holidays. Uh, we, we adopted family. Every year we would adopt a family or adopt a ministry and financially provide for them or buy gifts for them. Uh, we, we did this thing. On Christmas morning, I'd get up early and I'd take the pieces of the manger scene and I'd hide them all over the house. And as our kids got up, it was like an Easter egg hunt. They would, go, they would go looking for all these pieces, and then we would sit down in the living room floor, and depending on what pieces of the manger scene you found, you told that part of the story. We would light candles in various rooms all over the house, and, and a couple of weeks before Christmas, we would go room by room, and with that lit candle there, we would pray for another unsaved friend or an unsaved relative to say, God, let this be the year that they discover life and light in Jesus Christ. We found little ways of, we, we, we baked cookies and we would go Christmas caroling among our neighbors. God would give us prophetic words for our kids and they would be the first gifts that we would give them on Christmas morning. The holidays were about Jesus. Well, let's wrap this up. Re reflecting back on raising four kids for God, our house was simple, our budget was stretched, life was really, really busy, and we didn't always get it right. But as we did our best to live Deuteronomy 6, um, today with our kids, we see the blessed life. We see God's increase. We see destinies that are being fulfilled. We see undeserved, undeserved blessing. And we're satisfied. And we can say no regrets. Now God has a sense of humor because uh, after getting ours out the door, he gives us a school. And we got a whole bunch more. We get to do it all over again. We got 35 young Colombians that are that we're spiritual parents to. Let's wrap up with this scripture, Coastal. I believe it's for you, and I believe it's for today. Matthew chapter five. Jesus says this: "You, you, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house." Verse 15: Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Your families, light on a hill. Let your light as families so shine this Christmas season 
that people see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Coastal, God bless you. God bless your families. And I pray that you find new and exciting ways to let your light shine this Christmas season. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and this time you've given us in your word today. Lord, I pray that this coastal family together and the families that make up coastal, God, may, may the difference that only you can make in families come shining through as they endeavor to live Deuteronomy chapter 6 with their kids, as they endeavor to let their light shine before family, friends, in their communities and on the job. Jesus, be glorified through the families of Coastal. Teach us how to disciple our children and our children's children until you come again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv.